so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! You pour in blood, sweat, and tears, and then you sell to Penske. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome back to episode 220 of Motorsport 101, filling in for your friendly neighborhood, Andre Arison. We're RJ O'Connell, Ryan King, and Cam Buckley. Uh, so, stuff happened. Stuff happened. Lewis Hamilton is now a six-time champion of the world, and holy shit, Roger Penske owns the Speedway in the IndyCar series. He bought the whole farm. It, it, it's not a dream. You are awake and completely conscious right now. Roger Penske is now the the owner and operator in the, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the NTT Data IndyCar Series. It took over 20 years, but Cart won the split. <laughs> King, if I'm, dr- if I'm not dreaming right now, could you just, like, slap me in the face as hard as you possibly can? Ow! Why would you do that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's fine, King. Oh goodness! Ah, the the magic of live, uh, live, uh, live sound and not acting. Damn. Ah, uh, oh, we got a lot to get through this week. We had a uh, had a fairly tepid United States Grand Prix by the measures of United States Grand Prix, where the big stories, of course, Lewis Hamilton, one of the greatest. British athletes, in any sport, in any discipline. He didn't need to win the race, probably wasn't going to be in contention to win the race, but damn it, he wrapped up title number six, as we damn sure expected, and we'll get into that and the other storylines of the race. Uh, but I think uh, we should start off uh, with the news of the race, but before we get into that, some general housekeeping um, as I go through my list. Um, We're, of course, on Motorsport101.com for all of your favorite podcasts and written material, including an excellent piece by the aforementioned friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison about Lewis Hamilton, uh, his place in history as he clinches his sixth world championship. It is a good read. Expect a lot more written material uh, out of us as the month comes. It's National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. Um, we are on Facebook.com and YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're at Twitter and Motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, you can, for whatever reason, at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, that's with two N's and two L's, and at C Buckley917, that's with no vowels. Thank you. And you know... That when Shane and Stephanie sold their stock to that consortium, that the consortium, woo, the consortium was me. Guys, uh, big story of the week. We broke up sometime in the morning on a Monday to find out that power and ownership in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series has changed hands. Very suddenly, 
and very drastically. Roger Penske has bought the series in the Speedway. I, uh... I, I woke up, and I looked in the Discord, and I couldn't figure out why everyone was in chat, in the voice chat. And then I scrolled up, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, um, um, on Monday, it was reported that Roger Penske, uh, the Penske Entertainment Corporation, uh, by early next year, will take over all of the entities owned by the Holman family for 74 years in one of the biggest transactions in the history of motorsports. Well, in the history of just sports, period. Yeah. Could, I mean, could you imagine, though, just like, this is, this is as big as, this is as big as Formula One being sold to Liberty just recently. You may argue it might be even bigger. Yeah, because, like, again, uh... A lot of onus was mainly placed on the speedway changing hands, like the physical location. Uh, but again, it's also the commercial organizational rights to run the IndyCar series. This came out of seemingly nowhere. Uh, yeah, because this was all, kept uh, under better wraps than the pushrod Mercedes engine. Yeah, because I'll, I'll talk with our, our friend and IndyCar Insider, uh, Christopher DeHardy, here in just a few minutes. Uh, but yeah, this whole deal came about um, starting in September on the grid at Laguna Seca with a chat between Tony George and Roger Penske. Um, you, you could have, I, I swear, 25 years ago, you could have not have imagined these two having a very peaceful transfer of power between one another. <laughs> no. uh, but yes... Yes, Roger Penske now owns the series and now owns the Speedway, which, of course, not Penske's first rodeo in terms of owning a track. One may recall, owned Michigan, he owned Nazareth Speedway, rest in peace, and he, and he bought, built up California Speedway, well, the artist formerly known as California Speedway, now Auto Club Speedway. Uh, so that is, uh, so there's going to be a lot of uh, very, very, very interesting uh, developments uh, coming out of that whole, out of this, uh, man, can you think it's going to take a while before uh, before we start to see any real changes out of this? I think so. I, I, I really think that, like, again, in the press conference, Roger said that he was mainly, like, this, the structure of the IndyCar series is new to him, so he has to sit and watch and see everyone work and see how everything's going right now. I really think if we're going to see any big changes, it's probably going to be in 2022 when when the series goes to a new uh, goes to a new car. That'd be the perfect time to make changes. If I was Roger Penske, that's uh, yeah, that is uh, that's yeah, there's going to be a, a lot to it. Um, and a lot of moving parts uh, that all took place overnight. But yeah, Holman, Holman and Company, as we know it, no longer going to be a thing. And uh, one thing that's that we should also talk about is might be the magic, uh, the magic pill that gets us a third uh, manufacturer in the series. Potentially, we don't know that. That's always been the golden goose for IndyCars, that uh, coveted third OEM. Yes. And think of what this could do for the Speedway as well, because uh, you got you kind of get the feeling. I'll talk about with this with Chris as well. Um, events that aren't the Indianapolis 500 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway are. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be glib about it. I'm not gonna be glib. Uh, they're they're not doing well 
not doing well at all. Or you can get to the point where the Brickyard 400, which was a genuine crown jewel event of the NASCAR schedule, cannot even get filled to stands halfway to capacity. Yeah, and it's, it's, I don't know, like, also, it was kind of hinted at, like, while Roger did hint at racing events being held, like, more racing events being held at the Speedway, but also just other events, like, non-racing events being held at the Speedway, too. Such as a casino. Such as a casino, casino. you Because betting is now legal in Indiana. Yes. Like, there have been talks about a, you know, a casino hotel down the backstretch. Obviously, uh, the Speedway does have a tournament-caliber golf course, yet uh, the PGA Tour has never actually played there. I believe the Senior Tour has played there, and the the LPGA Tour has played there, but, like, the, the big tour has never gone to the Speedway. King, uh, Speedway in the series are good hands, you reckon? Uh, there are very few people that I would trust more with, you know, a massive racing venue and a series than Roger Penske. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, if you think about it, he already owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the Indy 500, right? <laughs> right. Oh, and I don't, like, and it... it 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 really it really be disappointing if you know Detroit's favorite son couldn't get one of the other big three manufacturers to come to IndyCar. And with a snap of my fingers, uh, Kang and Cam have disappeared for a bit. And now I'm talking with our resident IndyCar insider, uh, Motorsport Tribune writer, and uh, Petit Lamaze chauffeur, Christopher DeHardy. Uh, who's had, just as we have had, about 48 hours to digest the sale of IMS and IndyCar to, to Penske. Um, first and foremost, for a deal that seemingly uh, came almost out of nowhere, how long did it take for this deal to get done? Well, Tony George approached Roger Penske on the uh, grid at Laguna Seca. He mentioned uh, stewardship with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and that fired off a chain of emails that went between them over the next couple of weeks. Uh, since, you know, Laguna Seca was just in the middle of September, I think it was, what, six weeks that it took to get this situation done? Now, of course, the sale has not officially gone through yet. There's still regulatory, you know, government hoops to go through. But the sale should be finalized in January, and it will only be the third time that the Spillway has ever been sold, which is remarkable given how long it's been around. You're you're very right there. As mentioned, it's not... This has largely been a family-owned circuit and a family-owned series for much of its existence. Uh, You may recall, just before the start of your string of 23 consecutive Indy 500s in a row, 24, I believe, um, Roger Penske and Tony George, safe to say, were not on the best of terms. Um, And now it's a neat and tidy transfer of power from from the Holman family to uh, Penske Corporation. Yeah, uh, as the saying nearly goes, time heals most wounds. And in this case, yeah, Roger knew knows how big the Indy 500 is. You know, the split was you know unfortunate time in American football racing history, but it's clear that he has gotten past that. There are still some people who are not past that, and it's really sad to see that. But I think it's a good thing that we've got this guy in charge now there are still many many questions about what's going to happen afterwards but i can't think of anybody i'd rather see in charge 
than Roger Penske. I don't know how many people have his passion for motorsports. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, some of the car owners do, but he's been, as Dan Gurney has said, he's had some skin in the game, so to speak. I mean, he's been owning cars at the Speedway since 1969. So, yeah, he he knows what he's doing. He knows he knows that he knows the game. He knows the inning. He knows the score. Absolutely. Um. So with this sale just going down, you would imagine it may still take a couple of years before we start to see. Uh, is it accurate to say it may take a while before we start to see uh, the real fingerprints of this transfer of power uh, going towards uh, the Speedway and the and the series itself? I, I'd imagine stuff just won't change overnight. Well, it depends on which entity you're looking at. So IMS Productions, I don't think you're going to see that many changes there. That was one of the three main entities that was involved in the purchase. <laughs> As for the Speedway, I think you will see more of an immediate effect because, you know, you can obviously change things very quickly to buildings and to training and things like that with employees. The series itself, you're looking at probably a, a, two, a one and a half to two and a half to maybe three year window for really seeing a lot of changes. Um, I know there's talks about maybe getting another manufacturer in. As for the track itself, there's still you know a lot of other questions like will the dirt track still be up there will there be you know maybe a casino i'm looking at other entertainment things i mean hell sports betting became legalized in september in indiana in the Indi in indiana will we see betting windows at the track there's a lot of things with the fan experience that have to that can possibly change and i think roger can change that almost immediately if he wants to but that Roger will do his due diligence to see what is good and what isn't good, and he will talk to a lot of people before he makes his decisions. Oh, this yeah. is a big, big, big purchase, and he doesn't want to have anything go wrong with it. No, and you'll recall, those of us who've been around a bit longer, this is not Roger Penske's first foray into circuit ownership. You may recall he was the owner of Michigan International Speedway and the artist formerly known as California Speedway, way back in the day. Um, one thing about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is that it's a track that revolves solely around the 500, where apart from the years when the Brickyard 400 was it, and when the USGP was in Indianapolis, it's been hard to convince people to go along with other events that are not the Indy 500, especially in recent years. Do you see that changing with Wender Penske's ownership bringing in more bring in a new energy to some of the other events that they already have will also bring in new events think about this before roger bought the speedway there's two new events that are going to be coming up for the speedway for next year sro america is going to have an eight hour endurance race at the track um or is it blank pain or yes, gt the, gt uh, something it's, it's the gt world challenge america the artist formerly known as speed vision world challenge uh now that race will be part of the intercontinental gt challenge as well replacing the laguna sega round perfect okay so that's going to be an eight hour endurance race that will be at the speedway and then i believe it was moto america announced that they're going to have a superbike race um at the speedway as well coming up next year now motorcycles were the first uh, vehicles on track at the old indianapolis motor speedway right. so yeah that's a good move so but you look at the press conference barrage said well what about bringing formula one back maybe what about a 24-hour race i would love to see both selfishly considering i'm only 40 minutes away from the track um but there are still some questions 
the speedway has a neighborhood that has grown up around it. Uh, there have to be lights put in. Uh, will that disrupt the neighborhood? I think when you look at Roger Penske's buying of the track, he mentioned stewardship. Could we see the speedway become a more steward of the community in order for them to say, for the community to say, you know what, we'll let you put up lights and we'll let you run a 24 hour race there. I think that if Roger's going to have the speedway do that, do a 24 hour race, he needs to have the track give back more to the speedway community at large. Uh, than what it is currently. And I think that's one of the things that maybe has been missing a bit from the track. Now, as it pertains to the day-to-day operations of the Penske team, do you foresee um, Penske's involvement with the series and the circuit? Do you see that having an impact on the day-to-day operations of the team? Do you think more responsibility will go to guys in around uh, the Penske circle, i.e., people like Tim Sendrick and the like. Tim Sendrick, I think, you know, is the guy that's going to take over Team Penske when Roger go- passes on. Uh, Tim's been the team president for a while now. I think Tim is probably the guy, I hate to bring this comparison up because of where the two teams are in the paddock, but I think if you look at Foyt Racing, you know, Larry may run the team, but I think everybody knows that AJ's back there waiting in the wings. I think it's a similar situation where Tim Sendrick is running the team but he doesn't make any moves to that Roger's approval. And I think that that's the situation that we're looking at now is that Tim is still running the show, but I think Roger in the background is like, that's a good idea. Do that, Tim, you know? So I think that we're going to stay in that similar situation. One thing Roger did confirm is that he will be stepping off of the pit box uh, for race day with Will Power. So Will Power will have a new strategist for the 2020 season. If there are, um, I could imagine that like, some people maybe who don't know the history of the sport or maybe are just kind of worried that you have a prominent team owner, um, especially one who already figuratively owned IMS and IndyCar, now literally owns it. Um, what could you say to those who maybe have concerns or reservations about this transfer of power? Well, we have to look at the history again. Um, the Holman George family have had a small stake in ownership you know, in the Speedway for a long time, they own Ed Carpenter Racing. Well, Ed is named as a team owner, but I think Tony George has a large, set, you know, part to play in the ownership of that team. So that's been going on now for a while. And even then, you look at, you know, the old kart series, you know, Penske was on the board of directors. He ran a team. Newman, you know, Carl Haas was on the board of directors. He owned a team. He basically, everybody on the board of directors owned a team. So it's not something that's new. And even then, that would require a massive um, separation of Penske's integrity in order to actually make that happen where it would be any sense of favoritism. And I don't think Penske would want to have that happen. Penske is a very, uh, what's the word? He's a very, um, he's a person with a lot of integrity. And I don't think that that's going to be something he's going to be willing to shat to get rid of for the sake of winning the Indianapolis 500. I agree. I think uh, I think a lot of people had concerns about it, uh, which it's entirely fair and understandable. You remember last year it was kicking the tires about guaranteed spots. I, I don't think his owner he would go through forward that idea. I, I'm seeing a lot more positive ideas. So what would you most be, out of everything that you've heard, what are you most looking forward to um, as power changes hands uh, for the series and the speedway? Well, and I'm just going back to my own experiences. Hopefully they uh, work on the yellow shirts a little bit. (laughs) Um, 
but I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, maybe concession upgrades, maybe, you know, video screen up the upgrades. I don't think the video screens have been upgraded since they first came out, although they may, I tell you, they may have been upgraded once. I think that you're going to see, you know, upgrades to maybe the Wi-Fi in the track. I think you're going to see um, other little random concessions here and there, uh, maybe little upgrades like going to different watt, you know, brands here and there, maybe different offerings. Although I'm thinking you're going to see some other things with the infield too. Um, maybe some different things with the fe festival, fan festival in the infield, maybe some things new with the museum. Um, there's still a lot of things that we need to go through. Um, and then, of course, the other little elephant in the room, who's going to say the command to start engines because now they have new ownership. Um, personally speaking, I hope it's Doug Bowles or Tony George doing it because the Holman George family has done so much of the Speedway, and I think Doug Bowles would love the opportunity to do that. Um, but, you know, although personally, there is there is one other thing I'd like to see change, and I know this probably won't happen, but I'm just, you know, wishful thinking here. Let's get rid of the exclusive contract with General Motors doing the pace car at the, at the Speedway because I love seeing all of the different car manufacturers in the country having a pace car at the Speedway and having it just be a Corvette or a Camaro. Honestly, it's pretty boring, to be honest. And as for the series, you mentioned as well, uh, there was a lot of excitement around what this new ownership could do as far as uh, as far as social media engagement. Um, you see, you see more like. What could you see, like, as far as, like, the footprint of IndyCar growing over these next, I guess, three to five years? Well, let's look at social media. The Penske team have had a lot of good things on social media with the Penske games oh, yeah. and a couple of other fun little things here and there. Um, I think what was it Juan Montoya was reading Google searches about himself at one point. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I know, right? Um I think we're going to see social, the social media landscape change with the IndyCar series. Um, in what way? Can exactly confirm that because you know that, that's decisions that are held behind the or um, conversations held, discussions. That was what I was looking for. That will be held behind closed doors. Uh, you're going to see that change quite a bit. I think you're going to see the YouTube channel change quite a bit. I know. I was talking with an, a friend of mine recently. All they're doing pretty much is uploading one old race a week. You know, you have a lot of off-season content that you can create. You know, why hasn't that happened, really? So there's a lot of different little things that you're going to see change, I think. But there's still a large amount of information that Roger has to go through before he can make that change. He is focused on social media and attracting a younger fan base. I like that a lot. If you go to a lot of racetracks nowadays and you try and count the... Um, the people underneath the age of 30 that are coming there without an older relative in some cases it's not that promising but in other racetracks it's a good thing so let's see what happens uh chris um thank you so much for your time and helping break down a little bit more about this blockbuster deal that snuck up us on a that snuck up on all of us uh thank you it's it's been a pleasure of course, of course. Um, I will also say this. This isn't Roger Penske's first track rodeo. We can't forget he built California Speedway. Yeah, yeah. He helped build on Nazareth Speedway. He bought Michigan Speedway way back in the day. He's run tracks. He's run tracks very professionally. I see no reason why that would change here. Um, let's just let's just see what happens. Thanks again, RJ. Pre Absolutely. 
Yeah, Roger Penske plays the long game and plays it really, really damn well. Uh, as mentioned, it's, uh, we talked about it with myself, King, Cameron, and Chris. Um, certainly a lot more to come out of it, but boy, that was a bombshell when it dropped. Oh, God. I mean, that that came on the heels of the, uh, I, would, I would say, not lack of, of pop and circumstance, but it didn't have that bombshell effect of uh, Arrow, McLaren, SP announcing their driver lineup, and... One, one yeah, thing, because one thing that came, one thing that really stuck out to me when that announcement was made was a tweet from Sebastian Bourdais about how they're like no surprises in motor racing anymore because of leaks. I was like, that's the first thing that I thought yeah. of when this story dropped. Yeah, yeah because Racer.com had this before Aero McLaren SP announced it. It's almost like we knew this was probably going to be a bit of an unpopular move in some regards. Though no fault of the two drivers that were just signed. We'll talk about that because we had to split the news into two segments. That's how big all this stuff was. King, we finally know what the F1 cars will look like in about uh, 16 months' time-ish. Maybe they'll look like it. It's a close approximation. They revealed the concept of F1 in 2021. It looks very sleek. Uh... Very much like the initial renders. Uh, not much else to say on my part. I'm like, they're, they're cars. I'll, I'll take anything that F1 wants to run. <laughs> and not just the cars. There's, uh, there's some other changes, including they finally put it in. They got a budget cap. We got a cap, baby. We got a cap. Oh, my Lord. Finally. And they, and they said it's going to have teeth. It's gonna have teeth that that if you circumvent this cap, there's gonna be there's gonna be harsh consequences. Oh, uh, and I mean, yes, Ross Braun did imply that violating the cost cap could mean potential disqualification from the championship. Damn. And again, uh, I think we covered it six months ago in the wake of a World World Motorsport Council meeting where the FIA unveiled that they will have a whistleblower hotline. So if you work for a Formula One team and you think your team is violating the cost cap, well, the FIA's hotline can call to report it. Yes, uh, that is a $175 million cost cap uh, meant to reduce the overall cost of F1, which could help because lord knows they need some new teams on the grid because uh uh the 20 that we have there's no guarantee that uh these 10 teams will be on the grid uh come 2021 uh as for the cars themselves in theory they should be better able to battle on the track should be more balanced across the board um a set is a sport where success is determined more by how well team a team spends its money not by how much it spends a better business for those participating and more attractive to new potential entrants and a sport that continues to be the world's premier motor racing competition and perfect showcase of cutting edge technology according to the bullet points it all sounds very good and fun but of course um there is theory, and then there is, of course, execution. Yes, we'll have to wait and see. Though, I really do like the look of the new rear wing, not gonna lie. Oh, I do too, it's thick. Real thick, and... I'm gonna hold my tongue. <laughs> Cam, Cam, I can tell you're less optimistic. I, I like the direction they're going. 
I just know that from the history of Formula One, every time they've tried to fix the uh, dirty air problem, teams have found loopholes and rammed double-decker buses through them. We'll see what happens. Like, I I don't think the, the gains against dirty air are going to be as great as the FI claim they're going to be. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah. Also, they're, they're, you know, them seeing all the possible variants teams could create with the cars. I don't think it's going to happen. Convergence is just inevitable. Like, there's there's going to be one way to go faster than everyone else. Yeah, in an open gonna... set of, of regulations like this, there is always a an optimum layout and an optimum way to go with the car. Teams just because, need to find where Because teams are boring and, and lack creativity. Yeah, and whatever team hits that solution first is probably going to pull out a gap on the teams around them. Yeah, there's there's no there's no safety net for creativity. If you try something radical and you get it wrong, you will lose. It's yep. not it's not GT three where you can come up with a bus and they can balance it somehow, so you're not too far back. See, yeah, so basically, see this is Williams driving together with actual continents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically, you're looking at a chance where a team like for for a team like Williams or Racing Point, 2021 could be their chance to catch lightning in a bottle and ramp their way up the dr- the order, or they can end up even worse than they already are. Yeah, because of course, if you're a bigger team, you can devote more resources towards you know building multiple cars. Because yeah. you've got, you know, you've got right now, you've got development working concurrently between the 2020 cars, still of the current regulation set, and the 2021 cars. And again, there's, like, there's a lot more to developing a fast Formula One car than just spending money. It, there is a, some, like, there is what I like to call development inertia, where you need to spend money to, you know, purchase resources somehow, whether it be human resources, physical resources, to bring that development to bear. Like, you need, you know, newer facilities, larger facilities, more staff, more higher-skilled staff. It's not something that you could change to make everyone equal in a handful of months. Panasonic Toyota Racing has entered the chat, spent a whole lot of money, and then left without winning a single event. Yeah, it's not just about spending money, it's how you spend that money. And that money cover, and the cap covers expenditure that relates to car performance, marketing costs, race driver fees, and the cost of the team's three highest paid personnel. Uh, it does not include heritage car programs like Williams. Um, it doesn't include property cost. It does it uh, the customer supply. Uh, if you have a customer engine, that's not counted against. By the way, that's capped at fifteen mil a season. Uh, flight and hotel costs for race and testing travel don't count. Um, so it's basically all the big stuff wrapped in that hundred seventy five mil. Yeah, literally all the costs to pretty much manufacture and develop your car on a pretty much either hand-to-tool or hand-to-keyboard basis. One person who will likely not be a part of this uh, new rule change is uh, Nico Hulkenberg. (laughs) Hulkenberg Uh, gone. Well, 
It's not officially confirmed yet, but he is now it's, out of it. He's, it's looking like he is out of uh, places. It is confirmed so, because like he's openly said he's not going to Williams. And the only which, other team with a seat open, Alfa Romeo, well, there are no longer seats open because they announced that Antonio Giovinazzi is coming back. For one more season in 2020 uh, of Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, which means um, unless Nico Hulkenberg has a sudden change of heart, uh, Nico Hulkenberg is not going to be racing in Formula One, 20, Formula One in 2020. And that likely means the end of his career where and he turns 33 next season. He's been approached about a number of different offers. He's flatly denied he's going to DTM. He says he doesn't want to do IndyCar. There's no more competitive seats left in Formula E. I don't think there's any seats left in Formula E for that matter. So, um, what's there next for Nico? There was the rumor Hulk? that there is a BMW DTM drive. Yeah, yeah he literally he called it. He called it fake news. <laughs> uh, well, watch that fake news become real once he's out of F1. You know, you're going to have to get that paycheck somewhere, Nico. Nico Hulkenberg might go down as one of the greatest unfulfilled talents in Formula One history. He he would most likely end up as our generation's John Lacey, who was a wonderfully gifted driver, but through many circumstances, some within his control, some out of it, uh, only ended up winning one of his 201 Grand Prix starts. Nico Hulkenberg didn't even make the podium at any of his starts. Though he did come close to winning Brazil in 2012. Right teams at the wrong time, you could say. And unfortunately, he he kind of bet his his future on what turned out to be the wrong manufacturer. Who are now doing better without driver aids, as we'll discuss in our United (laughs) States Grand Prix recap. Oh my god. Oh shit, I think Freno called me. I mean... You only have to look back to Germany this year. That was prime opportunity for Nico Hulkenberg to maybe finally break through with that elusive first podium finish, and it never materialized. I've looked back to Brazil 2012, a race that he was comfortably leading alongside Jensen Button for most of the way, came back from a penalty to go drive his way back to the front until he, he and Lewis Hamilton wiped out. Um, like he wiped I, out Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, like, he, yeah, they, yeah, it was... Uh, it was all a mess. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, yeah, Nico Hulkenberg may have been the quicker of the two drivers in most of the situations you think of like him versus Sergio Perez. But the reality was uh, whenever opportunities to get on the podium and contend for a win were in front of them, Perez got them and Hulkenberg just was not able to. Um, It's as simple as you look back to Brazil 2012. That was another missed opportunity. I mean, obviously he still has that Lamont win at the bank. Um, he still has eight or nine years of experience, and uh, my God, he's a he's a better option just as a pure talent than some of these other guys on the grid have. But it, it's simply a matter of as, you know, as has been mentioned. The reason he's losing his drive at Renault is not performance related. Not not entirely performance related because um, because he's been as good as he's been doing well to carry this team for the better part of the two seasons since he's come here. Uh, he made Carlos Sainz look ordinary, and he's he's not been a slouch against Daniel Ricciardo, a multi-time Grand Prix winner. Let's Were it not for reliability problems and the fact that, frankly, he's getting he's gotten multiple short ends of the team order stick, he might mm-hmm. be beating Ricciardo in the point standings. It's it kind of sucks that it has to end on these terms. 
I know people say, well, why why didn't Haas just get Hulkenberg inside of, instead of signing Grosjean? Could you imagine it would have been cheaper to keep to just sign Hulkenberg rather than keep what, Grosjean? Well, what <laughs> Haas what Haas needs right now is some what semblance ha- of consistency. Considering what Haas uh, needs to do is just build a whole different car, a That's whole different car, really and get rid of all the black and gold paint and all of the stores <laughs> of rich energy. And uh, yeah. get a restraining order against uh, William Story if they don't already have one. Yeah, and I don't care what your opinion is of Nico Hulkenberg about how his his unladen talent is just there to be uh, there to be exploited. He is not turning Williams Racing around by himself. I'm sorry if George Russell can't do it by himself. <laughs> yeah, no one can. I, I'm pretty sure the fusion of Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher, and Ayrton Senna couldn't get that thing in the points. That fusion of Ayrton Senna, Lewis Hamilton, and Michael Schumacher might be able to squeak out an eighth on a good day. <laughs> if the top six all... If we get a Spa 98 turn one crashing, might get some points. Yeah, if they wipe out, like, 16 cars out of 20, there's a chance they might finish fifth or sixth. I think you're giving them too much credit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's... Hulkenberg is now out of chances. I don't know if he's going to come back in 2021 because remember he had a gap year in 2011, but that was when he was much younger uh, and less of a known commodity that he is right now, which we know his commodity is that he's a very solid driver, but ultimately is uh, just unfulfilled potential is, is the, uh, is pretty much the case on Nico Hulkenberg. Speaking of unfulfilled potential, Uh, We're going to take a quick musical break and talk about the United States Grand Prix right after this. Get in there, Lewis. What a drive, mate. That is it. Champion of the world. Did it in style, mate. You did that in style. Still we rise, guys. Still we rise. The United States Grand Prix. It's uh, it was certainly a race. A, a race in in Texas most certainly happened. I would say it was fun during the first couple of laps. Um, it did kind of settle into a routine, though. You can't really fault Mercedes for that. They were just uh, by far and away, and, and particularly Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, um, Valtteri. Valtteri put the herd on the field. It was a comprehensive drive from Valtteri Bottas from pole position as Lewis Hamilton qualified fifth. And we were all joking about how Nico Rosberg was about to release a video about how Lewis Hamilton's career is over by only qualifying in the inside of the fifth row on a race where he only had to finish eighth to clinch his sixth world championship. And not only that, we also know the reason why is because he had a switch cover problem on his steering wheel, which meant that every time he turned the steering wheel, he was playing with his engine braking settings. Oh, my God. It really is. Uh, it really is something. Um, but yes, sunny skies. Uh, Governor of Texas Matthew McConaughey was on hand uh, to watch uh, the United States Grand Prix with Valtteri Bottas starting from pole position, just twelve thousandths of a second ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who lined up second. Mats Verstappen and third on the grid. Leclerc started fourth. Hamilton started fifth, and Albon started sixth. We get to turn one, and already there's minor chaos as Carlos signs, 
and uh, Zalbon come clattering into each other while mostly the rest of the field just makes a clean break. As Ferrari could not switch on the tires, this would become a theme. Oh, Ferrari's pace no. was so dominant Ferrari, that they could... Ferrari couldn't just... Uh, they, it's not just that they couldn't switch on the tires. Sebastian Vettel said on lap one, something don't feel right. And oh man, it didn't feel right. ka We fast forward <laughs> to lap eight when Lewis, where Sebastian Vettel's nine. car, does its, does its best uh, Lightning McQueen impression. Yep, the right rear suspension shatters. This was a talking point during the weekend that, and I don't know if it's necessarily down to this, but now, Ferrari confirmed that it was not, that it was something wrong with Vettel's car that started on lap one and just got worse. Yeah, we're, we're of course referring to the bumps that came up in the track. Uh, it's been seven years and Circuit of the Americas is already starting to get a little bumpy. Yeah, to which Lewis Hamilton said this has to be the bumpiest track in the world, and Anthony Davidson immediately shut him down. Nope, Sabring is. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Davidson would know. He's raced at Sabring. Yep, yep. And, like, uh, it, it's understandable why there wouldn't be bumps, because I'm pretty sure the Circuit of the Americas was built on top of, like, a swamp. And also it goes through many climates during the year, because uh, it's in Texas. So you have, scor- you have scorching heat, you have very cold times, you have yep, occasional snow. hurricanes, you have <laughs> snow. You have, uh, you have Astro season, Longhorn season, Cowboy season, and Maverick season. <laughs> oh my god. That's all the Texas sports, right? Rockets. Oh yeah. My San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> Don't forget the Dallas Stars, because Dallas has got to have ice hockey, am I right, guys? I, I can easily forget the Dallas Stars. Let's move on. We get into the we get into the middle of this, we get in the middle of the stages of this race, and uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton is trying to stretch his starting set of medium tires as far and as long as he can go, um, to which point that uh, the wonderfully helpful Amazon uh, F1 Insights had that degraded Hamilton's tires about about 20% of their life in just about two laps. Uh, Hamilton was going for a one-stopper. I believe Botas was going for two stops. Am I right, King? Yes, Botas was doing a two-stopper. And it looked as if Hamilton might have had the winning strategy despite his complaints about the tires being able to hold on. But this time, uh, those complaints were correct. Valtteri Botas on the two-stopper, that was the quicker of the two strategies. And yeah. it ended up getting Botas the victory. Not before season. Hamilton could run Botas off the road in a defensive mood, however. Defensive move. <clears throat> yeah, but but ultimately Botas did pass him the very next lap with five laps to go, uh, sealing his second win in the last three races, his fourth of the season. A, a comprehensive drive that weekend for Valtteri Botas, I must say. And thus more evidence why, look, He's not going to challenge Lewis Hamilton for any of these championships. I get it. He's not Nico Rosberg. Jesus, he drove he like doesn't... this all year. He might have. <laughs> yeah. And there was that middle of the season slump. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, he's doing everything that, to put it, to put it, uh, to, there's no kind of way to put this. He is a wingman, um, and he is doing everything he needs to secure Mercedes-Benz valuable constructors' championship points. 
get some wins of his own, build up his own legacy. Hell, he's probably going to have a much better career than a lot of these guys who were set leading teams in the range of that Ferrari, Red Bull, Renault tier. Yeah, See, he, Rubens Barrichello for another example. And, like, he might end his career as the winningest finished driver of all time. Jesus Christ, you're right! That's not too far out of reach if he keeps winning at this rate. Assuming he's still at Mercedes, of course, which he will be next year. Because my heart really wants to see Esteban Ocon in a Mercedes seat, but it's not going to happen yet, and that's fine. No, instead, he, uh, Beltas is instead, more he gets the, instead he gets the yellow teapot. Mm. I don't know if I want to talk about it yet. I do want to talk about Lewis Hamilton. Yes, six times world champion, putting him one behind Michael Schumacher. All he needs to do is have another season like this, and he's going to break Schumacher's win record and tie his record for championships. Records which we thought were previously, let alone beat them. Uh, nobody was supposed to even come close to matching them. Mercedes V6 ERS era incoming. And yet, here we are with <laughs> Hamilton winning five of the last six championships. Uh, the only person to beat him in this hybrid era was, of course, the aforementioned Nico no, Rosberg. Noted, uh, noted clickbait maker. <laughs> oh, God. It's, uh, I mean, look, I've been around. I know, I remember when Lewis, uh, when Lewis Hamilton first broke into the sport. And I can remember thinking this guy's the, this guy's easily going to be the most, uh, He's got, certainly got the potential to be the next great British F1 driver, but his accomplishments have now superseded the fact that he's no longer just one of the best British drivers, no longer just the best British F1 driver. He's one of the best British athletes in the world. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure Dre would probably say the same thing here, but it's it's hard to see any other British sports person with like a list of accomplishments as extensive as Lewis Hamilton's. I can't think of one. Yeah. As Dre puts it, for me, Lewis Hamilton is so much more than just another winning driver in this F1 landscape. He's changed how he looked at the sport and how he's become the leading figure that's moved the needle in ways that force us as fans and consumers to see the sport in new lights. Uh, you, you may not agree with his eccentricities, the fact that he's kind of a bad loser when he's strung out. Uh, I get all that, but he is a very engaging personality. Fakesh just put in the chat that the last sports person from Britain that he could think of who had this level of success was Sir Steve Redgrave. I know Hamilton may not ever be knighted, but he makes as good a chase as any for, for any Formula One driver that's come around. He turns 35 in January, and he could easily have another two to three seasons like this before he hangs it up. Yeah. He's, he's as transcendent an athlete as our sport as the Williams sisters in tennis, um, for instance. All this from a... and Again, he's a black British working-class man from Stevenage whose dad worked three jobs to try and keep his dream alive from the time he was racing and karting. And I don't think Hamilton, uh, Hamilton is, I don't think Hamilton's lost sight of that. You know, he may have no. this 
You may have all the nice cars. You may have all the championship accolades and endorsements. Well, and that's, that, that's, that, that's something that often comes up with Lewis is that when he talks about where he came from and he talks about his concerns in the world, people often dismiss him like, oh, well, you know, why do you care about this? You have all the fame in the world. The fact yeah, that people, he does still care about it for me is huge. Yeah, people don't view his background or his current concerns as being authentic. They see it as being, you know, almost apropos for our age, you know, only for social media. God forbid someone in a position of notoriety actually speak on the issues at hand. Yeah, as Drake puts it, British folks are a lot more subtle and snide about our remarks. We talk in code. It creates a nasty gray area between those who just don't like him or are uh, apathetic or for whatever obtuse reasoning and those who are generally critical, often for good reason, due to his race. Uh, we saw it when Rosberg and Vettel won world titles with their German heritage, and that's another murky area there. Um, you know, there's... I mean, I personally... I'm trying to find the best way to put this because, yeah, I could understand feeling like Hamilton wins all the time. It can get a bit monotonous. But at the same time, um, there is no more engaging personality in motorsport right now than Lewis Hamilton. If you're going to have someone grind the field to dust and be dominant, why not someone with a little personality? Rather it be him. And I know this show is fronted by the world's, the Internet's number one Sebastian Vettel fan, but... Andre Harrison wrote in his blog, and you should read it too, that Lewis Hamilton is a transcendent superstar beyond the sport, and we need to respect that because there's a good chance that we will never get anyone quite like him ever again. Mm-hmm. So, and I and I completely endorse it. I apologize if we may see the pipeline, but it's true. Appreciate it's true. his appreciate greatness it. before it's gone. Yeah. That's why that's why we get so I, worked up because I mean, we really want to see somebody take it to him. Yeah. And nobody I, I, will, can. I will put my hand up and say I am no big Lewis Hamilton fan, but you can't deny the man's greatness. Right. Yeah. He can be a bit of a cranky he can be a bit of a cranky personality. I attribute that to just being being a high strung perfectionist at work. Noted Formula One driver is cranky, more at eleven. Yeah. And also the fact that he's a bit of a sore loser at times. Um, <sighs> Abu Dhabi 2016, anybody? Yeah. No, yeah, no for all this greatness, he still lost to a YouTuber. And, you know, that's fine. That's that's perfectly fine. And, yeah. I mean, just own up to the fact that the wall Hamilton... Hamilton does have his own character flaws. He's not a perfect human being. He's not a perfect driver. We get that. But he is... He is somebody that's that our sport should be very proud to have as its number one ambassador, more than just its champion. He's, he is our sport's ambassador, and he's a damn good one at that. Mm-hmm. In some ways, he's kind of like the perfect wrestling heel. He paid to see somebody finally beating him, and when he <laughs> when somebody finally does, it's the greatest thing ever. Which is why we flip out anytime Ferrari or Red Bull wins a race in this area. Yeah, because it's like. Anytime Ferrari or Red Bull win a race, it's it's a shot across Mercedes' bow that, yeah, so someone is there if you guys can't keep up. That's very, very true. And then they never, ever, ever keep up. <laughs> Take a second shot. <laughs> no, no, instead they shoot themselves, usually in the foot. 
Speaking of drivers shooting themselves in the foot, it's time for our mea culpa about Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen is every bit as good as we quantize. He is not overrated and has no significant flaws with his driving whatsoever because he finished third and kept his nose clean the whole day. Well, he didn't keep his nose clean all day. Oh? (laughs) Beef. 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 Oh, Oh, that just so happens to come with the person who finished... God, 47 seconds down the road behind them. Part of that was due to hashtag finger trouble on the pit stop. But, uh, Mats Verstappen let loose a tirade about Ferrari over the weekend. Yeah. Your free face was <laughs> in before the, before the, uh, the proceedings on track went on. The FIA issued a technical clarification about, I believe, using electrical interference to disrupt the fuel flow limiter. Am I right with that, King? Uh, yes. So essentially, it wouldn't limit it wouldn't limit uh, the fuel for pretty much uh, a brief interval while the fuel flow wasn't being recorded. So pretty yeah, much, fuel flow is not recorded constantly on these meters. It is regulated in intervals. Yes. So. Essentially, the fuel flow meter has uh, a pulse, like you know, like a heartbeat, mm-hmm. uh, as it as it you know reads the 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 fuel f- pressure coming into the engine. So Ferrari thought that they could have like, uh, well, allegedly, I need to use allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly, and I'll uh, I'll get into it. That it would have a countervailing pulse. So when. When the f- when the fuel flow isn't being read, it would just accelerate fuel flow, and then when the reader comes back on, it it clamps back on fuel flow. And yes, it does sound as ridiculous and over the top and convoluted as it sounds. Yep. And the FIA so said this would be uh, very illegal. <laughs> so this weekend, Ferrari were fucking terrible. I should say, in the race. But in qualifying, Vettel was only a hundredth off of pole position. Hmm. Well, Max Verstappen said to Dutch TV after the race, when asked about Ferrari's form, that's what happens when you stop cheating. Honestly, true to God, believe that Ferrari were not cheating. And um, the numbers... Because telemetry doesn't lie in this case, the numbers would support the fact that they weren't cheating. Because despite Ferrari being fucking horrible in the corners, even getting off of the corners slower as they were, they were still rocketing down the straights. They they just weren't hitting the heights that they were because they were getting onto the straights slower. Yeah. Yeah, and it's this, like, as a comparison... And keep in mind as well, we didn't see with uh, Vettel really what would happen because his car was sick from lap one. And Charles Leclerc had suffered an engine failure earlier in the weekend and had to use his Spec 2 engine, which was introduced in Spain and last used in Hungary. Mm -hmm. And he was still, I think, only two or three kph down on the Mercs in a straight line in the speed traps. Yeah, about there. And, like, as... A comparison to the situation at Renault, because everyone just it, it really feels like this has only come into the public eye because of Renault being caught legitimately cheating. Yeah, Leclerc even said, I think it's a joke to be completely honest, firing back at Matt Verstappen. Yeah, 
pretty much said <laughs> pretty much said that exactly and it it's not like the Reno situation at all where it was something that came into the public aisle at once but for India on their own well racing point on their own made uh you know they submitted a 12 page dossier there was months of investigations on their own part to prove that Reno were cheating yeah and you say, well, this this technical directive was issued and Ferrari instantly lost pace. Yes, because their cars had horrible understeer. <laughs> yeah, like, this is, this is a case of correlation not equaling causation. And again, Vettel's car, which is the only f- works Ferrari with the current engine, and keep in mind, Leclerc's engine was worn as well because he used it for the full... Uh, yeah, for all to talk about the uh, the Ferrari engine, we are not talking about how Alfa Romeo and Haas are really benefiting from this Ferrari <laughs> engine, from this oh, yeah. cheating yeah, Ferrari yeah. Haas, engine. Haas, Haas are just, they're so good in a straight line, honestly. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so um, Max, shut the fuck up and worry about your own performance. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> if anything, there could be a chance that Red Bull could get this whole thing thrown back at them, it's more likely, right? Yeah, because uh, directly accusing someone of cheating with no real evidence, not only could Ferrari dunk them through the floor, and uh, where are we next, Brazil? Brazil, yeah. yes, in two weeks' Power time. Power track. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you're basically opening, you're openly slandering Ferrari in the media. For no reason at all. Yeah. And a lot of this has also come out from the fact that supposedly Mercedes and Red Bull were dead set against the new regulations for 2021. And Ferrari said, eh, sure, we'll take them. Yeah, because they know they need to catch up with this. Jeez, and Red Bull should have got on that that train as well. Yeah, they know they need to catch up. And literally, uh, the power unit side of the regulations aren't changing, so there isn't really a way to catch up on that front. But Arrow and everything else... It's completely open. Well, and that's another subject as well, is that no one can believe that Ferrari found this much engine performance over the off-season because of the law of diminishing returns. And I'm not one to really think about the law of diminishing returns when we've got three separate engine configurations on the grid. Mercedes and Honda run one configuration, Ferrari run their own, and then Renault run their own. Yeah, and and it's hard to say what diminishing returns are when you when you don't know what the maximum is. Yeah. the And teams continue to push the boundaries and they continue to find more performance every single year. If they didn't, Mercedes wouldn't be winning and yep. Honda wouldn't be winning and Ferrari wouldn't be winning. And Renault can't win anyways, but we know about that already. <laughs> you know, one thing good that came out of the Red Bull camp this weekend, Alexander Albon... Uh, salvaged another good day from the depths of the grid. Now, to be fair, we mentioned he started sits, he collided with Carlos Sainz, picked up damage, had to pit on the opening lap, and that dropped in the last in the order. All out Salbon did was just claw his way up through the field, as he always seems to do in cases where he's put, par- put far behind and ends up finishing fifth on the day. One place better than where he, uh, started. Uh, that was a damn good drive. Yeah, it's a damn good drive for Malice Albon. Man, and it's almost like you could say that every race we've seen him at Red Bull so far, it's just just one damn good drive after another. Almost as if Alexander Albon is, you know, pretty good. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. Like, I think he's done enough to where I think he should keep that Red Bull seat uh, for 2020. Uh, Don't let Dr. Marco hear you. Yeah, again, uh, as Cam points out, this is not uh, this is not a done deal just yet for uh, for circumstances that could be entirely out of Alexander Albon's control. <laughs> Who's to say? Now, King, let's talk about driver assist. When you play with them in F1 2019, it's easier to drive, but ultimately it makes you slower, right? Yeah, because like while while it protects you from making massive errors, it does limit you to how fast you can go potentially. So, safe to say that Renault has just taken some of the drive raids off and figured out that that is the faster way to drive. <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo finished sixth, and Nico Hulkenberg finished ninth. Who could have guessed? <laughs> Who could have guessed? Yes, Daniel Ricciardo with his Texas Longhorns football helmet, paying tribute to, well, effectively, the uh, the Renault F1 of college football. Oh, God! Oh, so- <laughs> no! All that money to go eight and four. Uh, Yikes. And man. Also man, noted man, uh, man. noted Dale Earnhardt Sr. fan. Are, that, are there still is... still 10 teams in the Big 12? Oh, there's 10 teams on the Formula 1 grid. <laughs> and only three in the Big Dick 6. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I think... Gracious. Uh, yeah, Mercedes, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull are just Oklahoma, second Oklahoma, and third Oklahoma. If we're going to use that sooner. <laughs> uh, please send all of your complaints to at Lewis Son of 23 on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but yes, very positive weekend out of the Renault camp. I'm sure, King, you must be thrilled that your favorite, dri- your number one favorite driver, especially, was there to lead the charge and mix it up with the midfield. I got to say. Wait, Chad, what's that? No, your guy, Daniel Ricardo, who you love oh. and appreciate so much. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. Good job, Dan Ricardo. <laughs> I gotta say, though, Cam, McLaren and Renault bringing all the excitement in the upper midfield of this race, it felt like 2005 all over again. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. Ricardo, <laughs> Lando Norris putting it. Clever inside move on Charles Leclerc on the opening lap. Carlos Sainz was still mixing it up. Nico Hulkenberg was still in the midst. I mean, it was a good day for the uh, for the class of the Formula 1.5 field. Again, uh, Norris finishing 7th, Sainz in 8th, Hulkenberg in ninth, And, uh, well, <clears throat> let's, get, let's get to what happened in this last point, shot, Folks, Oof. I believe it's time uh, we take away Daniel Kvyat's uh, German Grand Prix podium and reinstate it to Sergio Perez. I mean, that's sarcastically... uh, Actually, Lance Stroll. Yes, of course. Uh, Danny Kvyat and Sergio Perez were contesting 10th position. Uh, Kvyat went for a gap that wasn't there, and that collected Sergio Perez, who was running in 10th at the time. What the fuck happened to Danny after that podium? He's been driving awful. He's been driving like what everybody thought of him after he was cut from Redful for like a fifth time. As you like to say... He proved all the haters and the doubters. Well, he proved them right. It's, I mean, it's it's frustrating. And you think he's really got just two more chances left? 
you you think that his seat is secure at AlphaTauri for next season, but you never I believe it's know secured. Sure. I believe it was announced that he will be back, but with Helmut Marco, no, no, that it, it it wasn't announced. It was announced that he was still in the running instead of completely fired. No, I thought he, yeah, they I were going to Fiat was confirmed, and then nope. it's the Gasly and Albon situation that we don't know about. Yeah. Um, it, it's, to be fair, all three of them could be out of Formula One. I think Helmut Marco dreams about that every night. Just firing everyone. Helmut Marco just dreams about firing drivers after one-year deals. So he just dreams about cycling it, out everybody. It's absurdly rare that this is ever the case, but uh, according to uh, the most like surprisingly the most reliable source for contract uh news the references section of the 2020 formula one season wikipedia page has uh a citation for the doubled tba <laughs> the double driver tba of of scuderia alfatori where it has a source from the russian version of the monolith <laughs> where it says that Kvyat is still included among uh, the two other drivers unsigned at Red Bull for a shot at a seat next year. Yeah, Kvyat was given a 10-second penalty in Mexico for hitting Hulkenberg, 5-second penalty this weekend for hitting Perez, criticized both penalties, to which uh, race director Michael Massey said, well, both of those are clear-cut. He <laughs> understands why he's upset, but God, you know, those it, are both clear-cut. It takes clear-cut. him for Michael Massey to give someone a penalty? <laughs> I don't know, man. Massey's Australian. He's very no holes barred about things. He lets everything else go. Is he also drinking wine in the in the uh, steward spots? Probably. He might be a baby long neck. Jamie Wincup has entered the chat. Uh race results. Uh, just don't mention sandpaper to Massey. Jesus Christ! Fucking yikes! Uh, rounding out the rest of your finishers. Kimi Raikkonen in 11th, Kvyat with the 5-second penalty dropped the 12th, Lance Stroll in 13th, Antonio Giovinazzi, the newly re-signed Antonio Giovinazzi in 14th, Rubman Grubman in 15th, Pierre Gasly just doesn't see the flag in 16th, George Russell 17th, two laps down, Kevin Magnussen uh, spun off because his brakes let go. Uh, Yeah, one of his brake discs exploded. (laughs) It's totally the driver's fault. The Haas are so terrible this year. Not the fact that everything is going wrong with the car. At their home race. Right now, the uh, the Stewart-Haas side of the equation is a whole lot better than the Haas F1 side of the equation. Yeah, I'm sure Romain Grosjean and Kevin Madison had way more fun driving that old Tony Stewart car around Coda than they did their own car. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, only two DNFs. Robert Kubica waited 13 long years to finally appear in a United States Grand Prix. He retired after 31 laps completed, and as mentioned, Sebastian Vettel's right rear suspension collapsed on him on lap 8, so he too is not classified. Uh, what'd you make of this race? Fuck this fucking team. <laughs> um, King? <laughs> Uh, I'd say it's it was okay, but not worth going back and actually watching. Go back, watch the highlights. 
Move yeah, on with your highlights. day. <laughs> yes. Um, championship drivers championship standings. Uh, Lewis Hamilton now on three eighty one. His quietest ten win season to date. You know, <laughs> say his quietest championship to date. You know how many drivers have won ten races in their careers, let alone ten in a season. And this uh, is like his most mundane of the multiple ten win seasons he's had. <laughs> Valtteri Bottas on three fourteen and second. He's got second in the championship wrapped up. And everything uh, that happened after that, ch- champ- actual championship implications. Charles Leclerc now third on two forty nine. Matt Verstappen fourth on two thirty five. As Sebastian Vettel falls to fifth on two thirty. Then it's a long way from the uh, from the persistent big dick five. Uh, to Alexander Albon, who is now sixth in the championship on 84 points. He has overtaken Carlos Sainz, your Formula 1.5 champion, on 80 points. Pierre Gasly is eighth on 77. Daniel Ricciardo moves up to ninth on 46. Sergio Perez is 10th on 44. Then we have Norris on 41. Hulkenberg on 37. Kvyat on 34. Uh, Raikkonen on 31. Stroll on 21. Magnussen and Grosjean, each matching their car numbers on 20 and 8, respectively. Giovinazzi with four points, Kubica with just the one. George Russell, Sarah Puntos. I only just now realized how on-brand the Haas point scores are. Very nice. (laughs) Remember when they were supposed to be the class of the midfield this year? Ah, it was a long time ago. It was Uh, a different man. Championship standings for the Constructors Championship. We know Mercedes are your World Constructors Champions, but sits 95. Ferrari have 479 points. Red Bull have 366. McLaren Renault strengthen their grip on fourth in the championship with 121 points to the factory Renault team and fifth on 83. They're starting to pull away from uh, the rest of the field. Racing point. Racing Point have jumped past Toro Rosso, 65 to 64. Alfa Romeo still stuck there at 35 points. Haas still stuck there at 28 points. And Williams with just the one point. Again, Formula One returns in two weeks' time uh, to to Brazil, Sao Paulo, and Interlagos. God, this season's over so quickly already. I don't know, man. It's, it's almost December. And for all we know, it could be one of the very last races at Interlagos if their uh, if their tyrant gets his way. No. Well, it seems like Interlagos has has their race on lock, considering uh, MotoGP returning to Brazil. Oh, thank goodness. Into the rest of the news. This was everything we couldn't fit into the first part of the news. Um, let's go back to IndyCar. Uh, we had more information break from the uh, from the James Hinchcliffe and Aero McLaren SP situation. According to an article in the Toronto Sun, I believe, uh, James Hinchcliffe is still on the payroll, of course. He's not been fired from the organization, but he's not going to race for them. In fact, uh, uh, Spam are willing to pay him half a million dollars to ride the bench and do PR and be a company man for the team. If he decides to go elsewhere, all that money is gone, and there's not a ch- it's not a guarantee those seats might be there. Yeah, and it was... 
over the USGP weekend, a quote from Zach Brown came out saying that, uh, yeah, they could have ran Hinch, uh, but the reason why they dropped Hinch, because Pato became unexpectedly available. Unexpectedly, like how, you know, Arrow was willing to pay Red Bull any amount of money to get him out of the contract at Red Bull. Even though they didn't pay Red Bull any money. <laughs> they didn't end up needing to. <laughs> Convenient for everyone. Except for Hinch. Just, I, I gotta lie, uh, the more I hear about this, the more this absolutely sucks for James Hinchcliffe. I can remember. Um, I can remember as the uh, the whole Ryan Hunter Ray being frozen out of Champ Car thing that broke down. I remember getting uh, private messages from people uh, who were close to the situation and told me that Paul Genalozzi had basically frozen him out of a contract. And it's looking something like that. All I'm going to say is, if you're Aero Electronics CEO Mike Long, you're not coming back to Toronto without armored security around you at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, really, there's no way you can come back in yeah, Toronto and, and, and be safe. Really, and of course, we've heard from other team owners, including one Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi said if Hinch could find the money, he'd sign him in a heartbeat. Yeah, but because Ganassi's got a problem. Honda team, but yeah, he needs the money to do so. And apparently um, Honda Canada wants to have. They don't. They want to, ca- to uh, cut that check, but they can't. They want to cut it, but the Brinks truck just hasn't arrived yet. All we know is I I am hoping Hinch does find a ride at some point because he may not be championship materials we discussed the last time, but you know what? He's too damn good a driver to just be sitting on the sidelines at this point in his career. That's all I got to say. <sighs> Moving on to bikes. Now, we'll talk about MotoGP later on the show, but we did have some bike news, and finally, we know the structure and the bike that Honda are going to have next year. 11 Holy years Moses of Cam. trying. 11 years of frustration. Honda Motor Company will come to unveil a new CBR Triple R Fireflake. <laughs> no longer the CBR 1000 Double R. The CBR 1000 Triple R. It goes from er to er. <laughs> You see what I did there? Exactly what you did there. And when you look down the spec sheet of this thing, it's just mind-bending numbers. 215 horsepower. That's a lot of horsepower for a little tiny bike. Yeah. Triple winglets on each side. Now, I don't know if it's confirmed if they're active or not, but uh, supposedly they're saying... (laughs) Supposedly they're saying... It makes the same downforce as the 2018 MotoGP bike. <laughs> Which would make sense why they had Mark Marquez roll it out. <laughs> yes, corporate chill, Mark Marquez. Hey, that is a company man right there. The best. Well, well so is Seth <laughs> Rollins. We know how that's working <laughs> out for Seth. A company man to the point where he's got the whole company on his entire back, which we'll get to later. Yeah, and that company better hope he doesn't have ambitions of going elsewhere. Um, but in the meantime, we do know the factory rider's structure. We know Alvaro Batista was going there. We didn't know who his teammate was going to be. For a while, we thought it was going to be Honda's all-Japan superbike star, Takumi Takahashi. It is not him, but he's still involved in the program on a satellite uh, CBR Triple R as Leon Haslam gets the other factory Honda ride. I'll take things I didn't expect for 500, Alex. 
but you know you want him anyway. Yep, yep, yep. I'd take Alex Lowe's, not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, I'm very surprised they didn't put Takahashi in the full factory bike. But I'm just glad he's got a chance. And again, with the same bike, uh, look out. He's going to be really good if he can acclimate himself to the to the full WSBK calendar. It's just too good not to. Yeah, 13% more power than previous. The aforementioned aero bits, an all-new chassis, Olin's best suspension. You just go down the list, and it's probably also going to cost uh, like 25000 US dollars. <laughs> That's uh, that's decent money for a mid-sized sedan. Yeah, and it's also five thousand U.S. dollars higher than the previous outgoing CBR one thousand SP. There needs so in other to words, be <laughs> there needs to be an MSRP cap. Not gonna lie. Oh please, yeah. Honda ain't even scratching the surface. Go talk to Ducati <laughs> and their bike that's forty grand. Good grief! But uh, they also just yeah. added some aero updates too, because of course. A road bike needs yearly arrow updates. <laughs> so with all that, surely Honda are going to win the championship next year, right? Um, Don't know about that. <laughs> no, because there is a um, there is a certain someone standing in the way of that. His uh, his name starts with his name starts with J. Yeah, the first reason is Jonathan. The second reason is Ray. Uh, but I, I think Honda should aim for occasional podiums. Maybe the very odd win. They should split Kawasaki and Ducati. I think that's their realistic goal. They'll Maybe. be better than they I were think, the, they, this year. Yeah, we talked about it before we started recording. While Bautista made a whole mess of his championship this year, at least for outright speed, there is no excuse. They they will they will get back to their winning ways. I'm I'm sure of it. I hope so. Honda always do. It just depends on how long and how much money and how many people it takes to get there. We'll see what happens. Um, so we talked about bombshells in North American motor racing that came in on Monday. Um, this one kind of fell under the radar. NASCAR champion and superstar, polarizing superstar, Kyle Busch. Oh, is he polarizing? But he is damn good at what he does. And he's also going to be driving the Rolex 24 at Daytona for Aim Vassar Sullivan in their GT3 Lexus RCF GT3. Not his Ooh. first uh, IMSA competition, actually. He once competed very long ago in a DP, in one of the Lexus DPs. Ah, yes. I guess that was in the era where just, like, every NASCAR driver is like, man, eh, fuck it, let's just run some Daytona prototypes of the 24 and get ready for preseason thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah. I believe it was one of, the middle, boxy boys. one of the middle races of the year, and he did, from what I can remember, pretty good. Um, Kyle, if a DPI passes you in an inopportune place, please don't take it out deliberately. Please. Oh, he's just gonna he's just gonna see that Penske Acura is just like Joey Logano, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he still hasn't forgotten about Montoya roughing him up all those years ago. Uh, oh, that'll Lord. be a, that'll be a good bit of fun, shall we say? And I, I wouldn't be surprised. God, could you imagine, though, if Joe Kibbs just ponies up the money for, like, another Lexus RCF? Like, Joe, Joe Gibbs and... Toyota TSO 50. Oh, my God. <laughs> I came up with that idea first. You get Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and Mark Truitz Jr. in a third TSO 50 for Lamar. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Everything's going to be fine. And then Kyle Kyle's going to pull up behind the seven car on the last lap and take it out for the win. 
<laughs> it's like, my name is Kyle Bush, and Retribution is my game. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently so is male pattern baldness before the age of 30. <laughs> Shout out to that hat hair! <laughs> Kyle Bush probably doesn't listen to this podcast, it's fine. Moving it's on! <laughs> uh, King, um... Do you remember when Autosport Magazine was three ninety nine a month? Man, it feels like it was just last month when when we saw the last the last three ninety nine issue of Autosport leave leave the print leave the presses, and then it went to that exorbitantly high price where it's like, hey. Ten ninety nine. This might as well be like ten ninety nine a week. Are you crazy? Like you, you think I buy champagne every week? That's forty four dollars a month. <laughs> Who was on crack? <laughs> I don't care if you do save sixty six percent off the cover price. An annual subscription, even with the swimsuit issue, is not going to be worth it for Autosport magazine. <laughs> and either realizing- way, it's fuck you, money. Yeah. So much fuck you money that they realized, yeah, they made a mistake. They're not going to try and just cleverly try and phase out the magazine by jacking up the price to the point it becomes unappealing. No, they just put it back to three ninety nine a week. It's like, honestly, that that brief period where it's ten ninety nine, they never got more free marketing than they could imagine. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so many people knew about Autosport and its price due to that one little change. Yeah, yeah, and plus, it's just like, it's at the point now where it's just like, if you read Motorsport.com, you pretty much get everything that's on Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine anyway. Yeah, like, most Auto- stuff in the magazine are things, like, it's it's very niche inside the magazine, where, like, they do really still cover club racing in the magazine. Auto Autosport Magazine, the launch PlayStation 3 of magazines. <laughs> so there's this giant enemy crab, <laughs> and you can read more about how it helped Ayrton Senna win the 1991 World Championship in our feature article. How does Lewis <laughs> Hamilton train for a race weekend? Ridge Racer! Ah, it feels like 2006 all over again. Please take me back. My boy was doing so well! Uh, (laughs) (laughs) McLaren! It's my set list, because I'm in charge, and I'm saying that the Super GT Motegi 250km race gets its own segment on the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll talk about it. Alright, again, it's my set list. This race gets its own segment, if only because we need to talk about the decisive move that decided the championship. (laughs) Oh lord, was it a move? Decisive as fuck. (laughs) Okay. Yes, it's going in the Scotty nominees. So, let's lay the scene out here for you. Uh, Kazuya Oshima and Kenta Yamashita are tied at 70 points apiece. They're teammates, and all they need to do is win or finish second... And they win the championship. Ryo Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy are the only driver team that can catch them. 
they need to win. Their easiest road will be to win the race. And for the number six, Wacos, uh, sorry, the Waco car uh, to finish uh, third or lower if they win Motorsport the race. Motorsport TV, you're a fucking disgrace. <sighs> I've said my piece on it, Cam. Um, <laughs> I have it. Ah, uh, man. Um, so we we get to race day. Um, Oshima in the number six car gets a kind of a dreadful launch and slips all the way back to fifth as Cassidy is carving his way to the front of the field uh, in the number 37 Keeper Tom's LC500. Uh, both of them take early pit stops. Ryo Hirakawa comes out right behind his teammate Yuhi Sakaguchi in the number 36 AU Tom's LC500. These two cars, while teammates, um, they do race each other quite frequently, and there were no team order buttons pushed at least immediately until Sakaguchi moved over for Hirakawa to let him through with about 20 laps to go. To put Hirakawa in first, and Kenta Yamashita, now in the sits car, uh, in third behind Sakaguchi, knowing that all Yamashita has to do is pass Sakaguchi for second place, and he and Oshima win the championship for Let's's team Waco's Lama, who, going into the season, had not won a GT500 championship since 2002 and had not won a race since 2013. Yeah, the entire the previous set of engine regulations was the last time they won a race, let alone were in the fight for a title. That was the last championship race of that regulations. Yep. I still love that SO Superflow Supra. I still love that Enios SC430. God, it's such a good... Those are good cars. So, 15 laps to go, right? And at this point, Yamashita has been putting the full court press on one of the most aggressive drivers in the championship. These two guys are just... They will drive a car as hard as they can, as fast as they can, uh, for for as long as they possibly can. That that Those are their strengths. They... Uh, so... Sakaguchi gets caught behind its uh, GT300 car coming out of the hairpin corner all the way down the downhill straight and into the 90 degree corner, uh, which is a heavy braking zone and a prime passing opportunity. Uh, Kanta decides he's got in the slipstream. He's going to go send it up the inside um, and he locks up, locks it up a little bit, but just gets past him. But his momentum carries him to where Sakaguchi could cut cut back and try and keep the position. Cam, what happens as they pass underneath the uh, the Motegi Super Speedway? Uh, sorry, the Motegi Banking slash Parking Lot. Why do you have to make me sad, RJ? They go side <sighs> by sad. side. Both drivers refuse to back out, and oh my goodness, they're both off the road. But he makes hey. the pass. Oh my goodness. Now, the number 36 Tom's car decided, well, if I take you out, helps my teammate now, don't it? <laughs> Left his nose in there, and the Waco's car just was not having it. It was gonna it was yeah. gonna make that pass come hell or high water. Again, I know Sekiguchi to be one of the most aggressive drivers in this championship. Kenta Yamashita, who was only in his second full season in this category, did not back down from him. You can see I posted a GIF of, the, of it one more time for everybody to see. He just, he is not going to let him bully him off the road like that. That's how much it meant to him. Yeah. And the end result, he gets to keep the second place. Kazuya Oshima, in his 11th attempt to win the GT500 championship, finally wins it 
And Katsuyamash is a champion in just his second year in the Premier class. That was a good, that was a good damn motor race. Great motor race. Um, I think one of the feel-good stories of the year. Watching this team, which has been probably the worst of the Toyota slash Lexus teams for a long time, just come out of nowhere and dunk on everybody. I would say that like only, only racing Project Bondo have been uh, less equipped because they're on much different tires. But again, yeah. this was a team that hadn't won a championship in 17 years, hadn't won a race in five and a half years. They came close to winning a title in 2016, but that's as close as they come. And they slumped horrendously last year, thanks in no small part to the emotional toll that the sudden passing of their chief engineer, Kenji Yamada, took on the team, let alone their lead driver, Kazuya Oshima, who was so close with him. Um, and from potentially rumored to being pushed out because there were far-fetched rumors that said, would Lexus Team Le Mans make it to 2020 before they were replaced by some other outfit? As it turns out, not only did they win back-to-back races, but they kept the momentum going, and when the chips were on the line, Katsuya Mazda made him, turned himself from a boy to a man. Please get that man to... I know the WC is a bad way, but you gotta put that man at TSO 50 soon. Come on! Yes, come on. Please, just do it. Just do it. But guys, that boy Brendan. There can be a third one. Is Toyota really going to spend that money when they can just one, two every race? They could one, two, three every race. That's even better. As if that's prestigious these days. (laughs) But it's still a podium clean sweep, which is what? What Lexus and Toyota got in the final race for the LC500 before it's inevitably replaced by the fifth generation toyota supra don't call it a z4 still a fucking z4 i mean great yeah and it's it's a great story and i'm glad that glad that they won i'm i'm gutted for hirakawa and cassidy and i just i just thought about it they won the last set of of uh overall regulations for the car and then they won the last race or they won the championship in the last race for this set of regulations they are changing yeah, a little bit next year. They're changing a little bit. Common ECU, um, common suspension uprights. Uh, you can't the put the going to be where the rear bit. seats are supposed to be. Sorry, Honda. Yeah. Yeah, this is the final race for the mid-engine Honda NSX GT, and also the final race for Jensen Button, who ended his championship reign alongside Naoki Yamamoto with a sixth-place finish. A respectable outing, and, of course, it's been great to have Button as an ambassador for my or uh, I'll say it, it's my favorite series, and I'm glad he was there for the two years that he was because there was no better person that could help shine a spotlight on the entire series at large. I mean, he is pretty much the reason why his his co-driver has something of a chance of making it to Formula One, um, and he helped bring Kunimitsu Takahashi, one of the most respected people in that scene, his first GT500 championship as a team owner. We will miss you, Benson Jutton. Yeah, it was a a farewell for a lot of people, uh, like Gentleman Racer Kazuho Takahashi, potentially the last race for the Sonic and Keihin brands, because Japanese mergers and acquisitions, the last race for the mid-engine Honda NSX GT, the last race for this. Not a great final run for a Sonic Nissan. 
Yeah, which exploded into fire, having spent half the season with a uh, with a defective chassis that they couldn't replace because we're going to the 2020 cars anyway. So what's the point? Uh... One of the Nissans didn't even make it to the starting grid because of an engine failure. Oh, Lord. Wasn't this like and... two races after Nissan replaced all their engines with updated units? You'd be right. Um, nutty things happened in GT300. Shinichi Takaki and former... Formula 2 driver Narei Fukuzumi ended up winning the championship for Autobax Racing Team Aguri, which gives Cam ample opportunity to gush over that black and orange NSS GT3. It's the best livery in the sport. It's delicious. <laughs> and out of all that excitement, a lot of people, including the commentators tasked to call the race, miss the fact that the lead of the race and the wind changed hands coming out of the final quarter on the oh final lap. Oh my god. Naomi y'all, y'all, ever and just, Togus. y'all ever just realize at the end of a you stint st- in GT Sport that you didn't put enough fuel in the car? Yeah, that's what happened to Naoya Gamo and Togo Suganami, who had pretty much had this race on lock, their third Mategi win in a row, until the car ran out of fuel coming out of victory corner, giving the win to Katsuyuki Hironaka and Hironobi Asuda, their second win of the season in the number 11 Gainer Tanats Nissan GTR GT3. Would it be more what correct to call it defeat corner now? <laughs> defeat corner. <laughs> uh, again, uh, three weeks time, King. Uh, we got to come up with something here because... Uh, it's it's a matter of personal pride. It's DTM versus Super GT. It's Damn the dream race at Fuji Speedway. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know. Should we bet Maybe some next uh, episode? Yeah, we, we can bet something. We need, should we bet some spicy curry? <laughs> I'm down for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'll be it's down tastier for that. Than, it's tastier <laughs> than bananas. What what can I say? <laughs> My boys are gonna win. My team, my contingent, is going to win the race. I'm uh, like a Pro Bowl that matters. I'm I'm gonna stand with RJ on this one. I think the Super GT GT 500s take it. I don't know. I got a cape for for my my fam DTM. Let's do it. Yeah, you you got Alex and Artie out of this whole deal, and you got an inherent advantage on the control tires. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, but of course, the Japanese contingent gets the inherent advantage of being on a track they actually know. Also, Jason's trying to point out that this is like Survivor Series. I, I don't know. Is IMSA's not the NXT in this case, and even then, they passed on their chance to go to Class 1 and make a new Trans Am series. But that's besides the point. Yeah. DPI's better than Class 1. I don't even know you anymore, Cameron. You sh- <laughs> How could you not know me? <laughs> I don't know you anymore. I feel heartbroken. Who is this man that I'm speaking with? I'm the truth. Class one's the future. Tell IMSA to get on board. Come on, bring back Trans Am. Tell WEC to get back on board, more like. (laughs) Look, they're... I already... WEC is a lost cause at this point. I've stopped trying. (laughs) Again, three weeks time. Watch the dream race. Uh, It's going to be a good time. Um, We'll wrap this up with... uh, We'll wrap this up with MotoGP here after More this bikes. Bikes on bikes on bikes.
Can you believe it's almost the end of the MotoGP Season 2? Oh, man. Part of me is more surprised with MotoGP, like, we're, we're almost to the end, because it, 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 no matter how early Mark Marquez clinches the championship, it, it, it feels like we're just in for, like, time to watch Mark Marquez win six more in entertaining fashion. However, and this is a truly rare occurrence this year, he didn't win the race. He finished second. <laughs> but it wasn't as straightforward as that. No, because it was an all Yamaha front row, and amazingly enough, at their home race, Patronus Yamaha SRT split Maverick Vinales in the front row with Fabio Cordero getting yet another pole position in his Rookie of the Year campaign. Franco Morbidelli on the outside of the front row, and Maverick Vinales starting dead center on the front row. Wait, and wait. Wait, Marquez is not on the front row, no, and Fabio's not. on pole. It's Fabio's day, guys, right? Yeah. right? In fact, there was a pretty direct reason as to why Mark Marquez wasn't near the front row. Um, he tried to play games like he did in, I believe it was Mugello, and try and get a toe. Well, Fabio Quattararo wasn't having it. And uh, in his attempt to play games, Marquez didn't warm up his tires, and as soon as he had to turn left, the bike threw him right the fuck down. Oh, man. Oh, even Lord. even Superman apparently gets tired. <laughs> yeah, and then he wakes up the next day. Miller, Crutchlow, Rossi, your second row. Renz, Petrucci, Zarco, your third row. Davi, Marquez, Bagnaya on the fourth row. And holy shit, Davi and Marquez are off like a shot. And oh boy, Corderar got a terrible sludge. Yeah, um, both Patronus bikes have a pretty bad first corner complex. Vinales shoots out into the lead. And oh my god, Mark Marquez just passed everybody. He went from yes. 11th to 2nd in the first in the space of a few corners. Yeah. That was an incredible start. Oh yeah. And while Davi <laughs> made most of his overtaking, Davi made most of his overtaking just in a straight line off the grid. Mark just dove it up the inside and prayed. From his yeah. second lowest start ever in six seven seasons of MotoGP top class competition. Yeah, he just, goddamn, like, he just, he Go just scuffed fine. his knees against the curb, and, like, I'm just passing everybody today. <laughs> yeah, of course, Miller got him back with the Ducati straight line speed, but then couldn't hold him off. Marquez slotted into second, but by then, well, Vinales had already broken out into a, I believe, a second and a half lead. And wasn't really challenged, because Vinales was apocalyptically fast this weekend. Welcome back, Maverick Vinales. This is the Maverick Vinales that we wanted to see when he was first brought into Yamaha, if I may say so myself. Yeah, and Vinales as well, he um, he talked about where he's been finding the speed, which is really a case of, fuck updating the bike, I'm just gonna ride, I'm gonna make myself better at riding, and they can play with the software. And he really hasn't touched anything Yamaha's brought to the bike all year. It's too late for him to catch second in the championship with this his second win of the season. Uh, but it does move him up to third in the championship, which we'll break that down in a second. And for Mark Marquez, um, he maintained his place after that great launch and now has the single season points scoring record for a single MotoGP campaign. Now, granted, some one more race than Jorge Lorenzo had. 
Uh, there's still one more race to go, and he could break that uh, average points per race. But goodness gracious, I mean, yeah, that there's actually a bigger thing. For- there's a bigger statistic at play, which I'll get to later. But oh, uh, yes, yeah, still the worst result Mark Marquez has achieved all year. Second place. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> If you exclude him, yeah, the, the coda fall. The- I, I don't include the coda fall because he was leading by five seconds and the bike conked out. You have to realize that there's this. That Marquez has had a season where he started off with a string of like ten plus wins in 2014, and this season might put it damn well near to shame. Yeah, this season, this season, as I said on last week's show, he's doing things that we haven't seen since Valentino Rossi did him on in '03. On his last year of the Repsol Honda. Yeah. And I haven't seen since Lorenzo in 2010. It's fucking ridiculous. We talked about it before the show. Like, um, if you're Honda, because there are inherent problems with that bike that only Marquez is able to fit because he is the only person that could wrangle that thing uh, in their lineup, uh, they better hope he doesn't have ambitions of trying a new challenge with a different manufacturer. Please, please do. Well, King, King, you should be hoping. I, I, I am. You, you have, like, you have the manu- your manufacturer, your boys are the only ones with the checkbook. Yeah, and we we got a connection because Red Bull athlete, Red Bull team. Come on, Mark. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, but Repsol and, athlete, Repsol team. Yeah. <laughs> also, somebody woke up Valentino Rossi. He had a decent day, and he finished in fourth place. Granted, he was like five, six seconds down the road from his teammate. Never really stood a chance of contending for the victory. Yeah, the Yamahas, the factory Yamahas looked mighty in the race. Yamaha as a whole looked really the clear-cut best. And then there was Patronus Yamaha SRT. Who just fell off a cliff in the race. And, um... There was a little bit of salt, a little bit of beef between the two Patronus riders. Beef. Oh, no. Yeah, um, Frankie Morbidelli f- ended up finishing ahead of Quattraro, but Quattraro tried to make a couple of moves on him and seemed very salty that Morbidelli wasn't just popping out of the way for him. Yeah, this is where you have to start worrying if you're a Fabio Quattraro fan about the potential for a sophomore slump because... His race pace was not good, and he's not going to get this benefit of the doubt net season once he has a full year of MotoGP under his belt. Um, you know, put the Yamaha, we know that bike yeah, has Yeah, that was bad. kind of their operative problem. Davi got ahead and ended up on the podium, and no matter how quick the Yamahas were, they just couldn't do anything about that red rocket in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, suffice to say, Vinales was one of the lucky ones, uh... Corderaro, Morbidelli, and Rossi were just in the wars all day. And uh, Davizioso actually mentioned it after the fact that he's astounded Yamaha can be as fast as they are over a lap and be that slow in a straight line. It's uh, Yamaha. If they, if they get some upgrades in the engine department, I shudder to think what how Honda would react. Marquez probably still win the title anyway, but still. <laughs> like it's four, nice four races it. early. <laughs> yeah, four races early as opposed to six. Easy. Uh Jack Miller finishing an eighth after a bit of a dust-up with Yoan Mir that uh, caused some bits of bike to fly off and Yoan Mir to take a long lap penalty uh, sandwiching. Oh, no, that wasn't the reason that Yoan Mir had the long lap penalty. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. You'll have to apologize because I'll I'll confess, I watched that Malaysian Grand Prix, but 
It was so late in the day that I don't think I formed a cognitive memory of that race, which was averaged by MotoGP standards. Yeah, um, Johan Mir, well, he just cleaned Zarco right out. From ninth place, it was all going so well for Johan Zarco. Not not gonna lie, secretly, I liked it. Oh, fuck oh, off, you KTM <laughs> worshiper. Oh, miss it's, me with that shit. Oh, man. It's 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 finally coming true. It's coming true now. King is gonna start referring to Johan Zarco as number five. <laughs> the chosen Skip. one became the frozen one. Skip! Yeah, Johan Zarco had by far his best weekend of the year and it caught for nothing because Johan Beer just cleaned him out in the end. Um, but it did promote Polo Spargovan up another place. Now I see why he likes it so much. Okay, Polo Spargovan finishing, <laughs> finishing second. Uh, Zarco, by the way, was way ahead of Cal Crutchlow before Crutchlow fell and then obviously Zarco fell just two laps later. Uh, Pekka Bagnaya in 12th, Alicia Spargo, the other at Spargo in 13th, Jorge Lorenzo down in 14th place, his struggles well documented, uh, Mika Calio uh, in the other KTM factory bike in 15th, Hafez Siren, his last premier class race in front of his Hope fans in 16th, Carol Abraham in 17th. Again, three non-finishers, Johan Sarko, Cal Crutchlow, and Andrea Iannone cannot repeat his heroics from Phillip Island. We kind of expected that, to be honest. But he did fall nine laps short of the checkered flag. Okay. Gotta say, fairly, right. same, fairly tame race by MotoGP standards. Yeah, unfortunately, once yes. all of the madness of the first lap happened, everyone just kind of settled in. Vinales nice was little... already kind of gone. No one could live with Marquez in second place, and no one could pass Davi in third. Yeah, neat little layers started to form. So, championship standings going into this final race meeting in Valencia, Spain. Uh, the track, of course, named after the Manchester United footballer. Uh, don't don't <laughs> quote me on that. That's that's just scientific fact. Uh, Mark Marquez. He's going to have a 400-point season if he just finishes 11th or better. Oh, my fucking <laughs> Never thought I'd see uh, the day. He could sleepwalk through the weekend and collect 400 points He could sleepwalk season. through the weekend and collect the points per race record. He could sleepwalk through the weekend and... And I'll get to that in a little bit with the team mm -hmm. standings. Because it's all to play for. Davizioso in second on 256. Vinales, as mentioned, rockets up to third on 201. He now passes Renz on 194. Petrucci in fifth on 176. Quartararo, your rookie of the year. Yes, it's totally fine to have rookie of the year t-shirts printed off. <laughs> in sits on 172. Valentino Rossi, seventh on 166. Jack Miller, eighth on 149. Crutchlow, ninth on 133. And Franco Morbidelli in tenth on 155 points in the Riders classifications. But looking at this team's championship, it's 432 Ducati to 430 Repsol Honda. Mark Marquez could nab them that triple crown. By himself. Yeah, he's got to hope that both Ducatis don't finish high up in the order and he could really use Jorge Lorenzo's best race of the season uh, to really yeah, help yeah, that out. I don't out. know about that one, Chief. Marquez kind of just needs to hope to go out and win the race, which is perfectly possible. And then mm -hmm. 
see what happens. If Petrucci keeps scoring the fringe points that he has and Davi is either a, either in third or off the podium, he could do it. Third place in the Riders' Championship, still up for grabs, so is fifth. I mean, there's still places to be fought, and of course, uh, you think Marquez is going to get that points per race record. I think he's going to get and finish on a very nice and even 420 points. Yeah. And Lewis puts in the chat also, you can't get much worse for Ducati than the Valencia layout. I just love the fact that we're all Brad's and about Brad Bender's chances. Oh, what a wonderful segue to get into <laughs> Moto2. Because uh, Brad Bender, yes, he did take his third win in the last five races. But coming in second, just seven tenths behind him. And the new Moto2 champion of the world, Alex! Marquez, he did it. it! I'm so proud of you. He finally, finally lived up to that potential. Finally, we can go home. <laughs> but we don't. Have, but we can't go home just yet because we still got to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So Brad, so Brad Bender uh, takes the win in Moto Two. Uh, again, as mentioned, that's his third win in the last five races after winning Aragon and after winning Phillip Island. It's a hot finish to take to take second place in the championship away from Thomas Ludi, who rounded off the podium in uh, in third place. Um, thoughts on the... Did, did either of you, I guess y'all I watched, got a chance to catch the Moto2 race? I watched race? the Moto2 race. Yes. It was a solid race. I thought, oh, yeah. uh, I thought Bender was going to take out Marquez with the move that ended up winning him the race. Because he stuffed <laughs> it up the inside, hit Marquez, and forced him to stand up the bike. Oh, man. It, it that would have been controversial. Time. <laughs> Golly, yeah. A Marquez yeah, getting surprised. knocked off his bike in Malaysia. Hmm. Mm. No, no, I've never heard of this idea. Yeah, um, it's completely foreign to me. Rounding out the rest of the top fifteen, yeah, Zabi Bierhe finishing in fourth, Jorge Navarro in fifth, Iker Laquona, uh, the surprise rookie choice for KTM Tech Three next year in sits. Lorenzo Baldassari in seventh, Tetsuda Nakashima in eighth, Marcel Schroeder ninth, Luca Marini, who, surprise, and you may be shocked to hear about this, is Valentino Rossi's half brother in tenth, Augusto Fernandez in eleventh, Nicola Bulliga in twelfth, Matteo Pasini in thirteenth, Remy Gardner in fourteenth, and Dominic Agarder in fifteenth on the MV Augusta, rounding out your point scores. Among those who fail to finish include, uh, Include Sam Lowe's, Bezecchi, Manzi, Chantra, Fabio DG Antonio, Narodin, Martin, and Bo Bensnyer didn't even finish the first lap of the race. Yeah, there was a lot, of, uh, lot of bikes losing the front end there. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. And a Moto3. <sighs> um, you thought Dallaporta was done beating down the field. Nope. Yeah, as it turns out, Lorenzo Delaporta wasn't content to just coast through the rest of the year after winning this championship. Uh, yeah, he... Still ended up winning yet again. His uh, God, this is his third win in a row to wrap up the title, and he could, he could probably. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up winning in uh, and uh, in Valencia to close out the season as well. Yeah. How about Sergio Garcia, not the golfer, the rider, <laughs> taking his first podium in second place for the Estrella Galicia Cero Punto Cero team? 
Jaume Messia in third, Iogura in fourth, Celestino Vietti in fifth, Marcos Ramirez sixteenth, John McPhee, Britain's number one in seventh, Aaron Cannon in eighth, Tony Arbolino in ninth, Niccolo Antonelli in tenth, name redacted eleventh, Albert Arenas in twelfth, Philip Salich in thirteenth, Raul Fernandez fourteenth, and Ricardo Rossi. Is he related? Uh, Probably not. We would have heard about it. Yeah, we would have heard <laughs> about 15th, it. And fifteenth, rounding out the uh, the points finishers and. Also, uh, <laughs> Hami Masia, by the way, started dead last after breaking down to the sighting lap, came out all the way to finish on the third podium. And we did get confirmation that, no, Ricardo Rossi is not related to Valentino. <laughs> it's yeah. a very complicated should say as well, uh, Dalaporta didn't have it all his own way. reason why he was able to take the lead is because uh, we had a bit of a scuffle at the front. A high side oh. for Gabriel Rodrigo launched him. Oh. Off into Tatsuki Suzuki and Alonzo Lopez and wiped all of them out. I believe, which then started the uh, Italian, la- yeah, which then started Italian language Instagram beef between Suzuki and Rodrigo. <laughs> oh my goodness, RJ, tell them more. Uh gosh, so I'm uh, trying to get a uh, trying to get the cop. It's uh, basically Tatsuki. Uh, sarcastically thanking uh, Gabriel Rodrigo for wiping him out at the fourth corner. Uh, Rodrigo was just like, oh, well, wait, I don't give a fuck. Also, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) Basically, your breakdown of that entire uh, conversation that was had there. Um, Yeah, that was a Congratulations. You won at least the fourth quarter for me, but you didn't win the race as always from Tatsuki Suzuki. <laughs> Jesus. That man has been going in on one on social media lately. Really has. Beef. <laughs> I beef, love it. Beef. Beef. <laughs> I love it. I love it, honestly. He was one of uh, eight non-finishers, which also included his Japanese country, Katatoba. Uh the other bender, Sasaki, Mino, Nepa, uh, Rodrigo, and Lopez all failed to finish. Uh, MotoGP will be back. Um, back in, God, I want to say this is not too long for now. Like, two weeks' time, I want to say? Get to the Valencia Grand Prix. Yep, it's in two weeks' time. No, next, it is next, next weekend. Next, next weekend. weekend. Jesus, weekend. time is fucking me up, man. <laughs> this MotoGP season is almost already over before we go um this was obviously a uh, a weekend not just for moto gp and moto 2 but and moto 3 but also this was meant to be the uh festive final round of the inamitsu asia talent cup uh there were several riders competing for a championship that weekend one of those was indonesian rider afriza mundadar um on the opening lap of that race, Afridza Munandar suffered injuries which he would not survive and passed away during that race. He was just 20 years old. Um, it's obviously, it, it's a massive loss for, for a young rider who was, who, seemed, who was competing for a championship and who had already won twice that year, including just at this Sepang circuit. Um, Earlier in the year, he had also won in Thailand earlier in the Asia Talent Cup. Um, it, it was just an absolutely stunning blow. Um, again, he took two wins, two second places, two third place finishes 
he ended up finishing the championship third overall and um for for a bike for a country like indonesia we have uh one of our supporters rezi who was uh who was from indonesia and that's a country where motorcycle racing is king among everything else and uh mundanar seemed like he would have the potential to one day make it to the world championship circuit and compete for victories on the world championship stage um there were many touching moments, including uh, Munadar's mechanic coming to pick up his third place championship award uh, once the season had finished out, and uh, uh, I believe it was uh, I believe it was Iogura who finished. Uh, I believe it. I want to say it was Iogura who finished the uh, the race. Uh, uh, I want to say it was the Moto Two race, and he picked up uh, picked up Munadar's helmet after the race as a. Uh, as a as a respect out of out of respect for uh, yes it was Hyogura who did that um the the following day uh just 24 hours after Freeds had passed away um motorsport 101 would like to send its sincerest condolences to the family friends and loved ones of Afriza Mundadar a talent we lost way 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 too soon godspeed young man Places you can find us one more time, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, twitter at motorsport underscore 101, we're at harrison101hd, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at cbuckley917, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, for just $5 you can uh, get early access to all of our shows, $10 you can listen in on all of our shows in our discord section, um, uh, live as they're being recorded. Thank you to everybody who's been tuning in for Jason, Tony, Vikesh, Vincent, uh, Lewis is here as well. Um, and again, all of our stuff, our podcasts, our written material at motorsport101.com. For Andre Harrison, for Ryan Eric King, for Cam Buckley, I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.